Uh, For those of you who've got your Bible, I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And uh, ladies, um, please excuse my um, cold. (laughs) I (coughs) apologise. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'd now invite Jenny to come and open the word for us. Well, if you'd like to keep your Bibles opened at uh, Colossians chapter 1, the outlines are in your little booklet. Um, You may want to use that to take notes or you may want to use that just to keep track. And uh, at the very least, you can see where I am and you can see that I'll be coming to an end at some point and that might also be encouraging for you. Kathy has prayed... For us, as we come to His to God's Word, so um, I'm not going to pray again. We're just going to get started. I don't know whether uh, you've noticed, uh, but at uh, any given year, and actually it continues on throughout the year, uh, we are bombarded by ads for Weight Watchers and Light and Easy and Jenny Craig, and then there's the gyms, Fernwood Gym. Curves and uh, many of these are targeting the female audience. And I don't know whether you relate to this, but I have joined my fair share of gyms over the years, and I have also been a member of Weight Watchers. Um, I have done Jenny Craig. I have done Curves. Um, I haven't done Light and Easy yet, so that's still uh, there to do. Uh, but if you go to a Weight Watchers meeting or if you go to the gym at the beginning of the year, uh, it's quite crowded. People are very enthusiastic. 
people are working on their stair machines and their, their bikes and their treadmills and they're lifting weights and uh, everyone is very enthusiastic. But I think that uh, if you were to track attendance after January and February and March and then getting into winter, you notice there is a bit of a drop-off rate. Uh, because I think we're very good at starting things and being enthusiastic with, with all the best intentions, uh, many of us can get distracted with other stuff. We lose focus. We can drift away from what we have resolved to do, whether it's weight loss or getting fit or, or even you know, my budget, you know, money man- management. We get distracted very easily. My brother has a T-shirt and it says on it, uh, some people say I have ADHD, but that's not, hey, look, there's a chicken. We get distracted very easily. And I think that uh, as Christians we can get distracted as well. When we think about how we became a Christian and how we are going as Christians, uh, we often see how we start well, very enthusiastic, lots of energy, lots of commitment. But then other stuff happens. We get distracted, distracted by hard stuff, sometimes really hard stuff. We can get distracted by good stuff. And it's very easy to get distracted and have our eyes turned to other things apart from God. So how are we going as, as women who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, how are we going to keep going? How are we going to keep walking? Especially when we know that there are people who are not going, who have not kept going as Christians. I know many people that started out the walk the same time as me and uh, they're now no longer living as Christians. It happens. It happens all the time. So that's, that's what we'll be thinking about today. What do we need to know so that we will be women in Christ who do keep going, whatever the circumstances of life? And we'll be looking at Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians. And particularly this morning, before morning tea, we'll be looking at the verses, verses 1 to 14. Now, before we dive into uh, the main part of this, which is verses 3 to 14, just a few comments about context, because it's always important to to know the passage in its context, otherwise it's too easy to pluck it out of its context and use it as a proof text. So, uh, what are some things we need to know? Firstly, it's a letter written from the Apostle Paul. We see that in verse 1. It's written uh, with Timothy. That's not to say that Timothy was a joint uh, author of this letter, but he was with Paul when Paul was writing this letter. We know that Paul is writing from prison because we read that he was writing in chains. We see that at the end of the letter. Remember my chains. And most likely he was writing from Rome, but that's not necessarily evident in this letter, but most likely with the timing and, uh, and other um, external evidence, we can, we can know that it's most likely Rome. He's writing to Christians who made up the church in a town called Colossae. So he says in verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers or faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, that is, they're Christians, at Colossae. What do we know about Colossae? Well, we know that it was most likely a a small town or a city, a small city made up of Gentiles and Jewish people. Uh, nearby were towns of Laodicea and Hierapolis. You might, Laodicea might ring bells in terms of revelation uh, in um, the letters to the Laodiceans, for example. 
Um, it was about 150 kilometres from Ephesus. Now, uh, the thing that we may not know, or you may not know, is that uh, most of Paul's letters were written to Christians that he knew. So he wrote a letter to the Philippian Christians, but he'd been to Philippi. He knew the Philippians. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and he'd lived in, in Ephesus. So he knew those, those people. But in the case of the Colossians, he'd never been there. They had heard the gospel from Epaphras. Epaphras brought the gospel to them. Epaphras, who in chapter 4, verse 12, is described as one of you. He was a local. He was like he's from Launceston. But then he'd gone off to another place, most likely Ephesus. He'd heard the gospel from Paul. And then he'd come back and he'd said, hey, listen to this. This is amazing. They'd heard the gospel from Epaphras and a church had begun. Christians started to meet together, following Jesus Christ together. Now, at some point, it would seem that Epaphras had gone then to Rome to visit Paul, and he told them, there are Christians in Colossae. Oh, how are they going? Yeah, they're going well. There are some things, there are some people, there is some teaching that's coming in, and it it is distracting them. We read that in chapters 2 and 3. And so Paul writes to encourage them to say to them, you are Christians, you are followers of Jesus, so stay, st- keep going in the way that you started. You started with Jesus, stay with Jesus. Don't get distracted. That's in broad strokes what the letter is about. So in verse 2 we read, he says, and this is a fairly standard greeting in the letters that we read in the New Testament, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That is a fairly common greeting, but it also describes the Christian life, knowing the grace of God and the peace with God that comes from being in Christ. So he's writing to Christians, Christians he hadn't met, but he knows they are in Christ. He's writing to encourage them in the context of distractions that were coming in from people who were telling them that they needed more. And he writes to encourage them to stay where they started to keep walking in Christ. The walk in Christ is significant because in the NIV we have live in Christ, but it's literally walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. Keep walking in Christ. Well, that's the background and that's the context. Well, let's think about what verses 3 to 14 say as, again, we think about the question of, of in the context of distractions, of the stuff of life, what do we need to know to keep walking the gospel life, a life worth living? Well, Paul here gives two realities that they need to know so they can keep walking. And the first is in verses 3 to 8. Have a look there again. I might just read that again for us as we're thinking about uh, what it means to walk in Christ. He says, um, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood grace in all its, God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You see, it's Epaphras that brought the gospel to them. Now, what do they need to know? They need to know that walking the gospel life 
starts with hearing the gospel and it is actually a work, all a work of God. In other words, to walk or even to power walk, it is from start to finish God-powered. It is God who does it. See, that's how Paul starts. He says he thanks God for what is happening in them. That's not unusual for Paul. You read his letters and he often says, I thank God for you because dot, dot, dot. But when you think about it, why would he thank God? Why wouldn't he thank Epaphras? Epaphras had done the journey to Ephesus. He'd done the journey back to Colossae. He'd spoken to his friends and those that he knows in Colossae. Then, you know, he'd, he'd encouraged them. Why not thank Epaphras for what's happening in this church? Or why not thank the Colossians for being so open-minded? They'd heard the message of the gospel and they received the message with joy. So why not say, thank you guys, you, you've done well to receive this message. Or why doesn't he give himself a pat on the back? Because he was one that preached the gospel in the first place. Epaphras had heard that. Why not say, look, you know, I'm writing to say, well done me. Why does he thank God? Well, because... Paul had heard about what God was doing in them, what God was doing in the people of Colossae, what God was doing in terms of their faith in Christ Jesus, what God was doing in terms of their love for others, what God was doing in terms of the hope that they had stored up for them in heaven. That's very typical of Paul. It's very typical of of the Bible, actually, because it is the gospel of grace. It's never what we do, it is what God does through the preaching of his message of Christ crucified. Paul talks about their faith and their their love and their hope. How had they got to this point? Paul says, have a look at verse 5. He says, they heard about it in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. They had heard the message of truth, they'd heard the gospel. And an amazing transformation had taken place. You know, I don't know about you, but I often underestimate the power of the gospel. When uh, we share with our family and our friends, uh, when we talk with our co-workers, when we talk with those that we might meet in some random place and we find ourselves talking about being a Christian, it's very easy to feel very self-conscious about what we're saying about Jesus and to lose confidence, to have a, a sense that, The words that we're speaking are nonsensical, a little bit feeble, especially when we see their facial expressions. They're either kind of shutting down, you can see the shutters going down over their eyes, or they're thinking about the next response, which is really going to slam our our position down very quickly. So we can lose confidence in, in what we believe, that it's right and that it's real, that it is truth. We lose confidence that the gospel can really change lives. Paul says that this is the word of truth. He says that it's bearing fruit. And he's saying it's bearing fruit all over the world. That's encouraging, isn't it? When you're in a little town of Colossae and you're hearing that it's bearing fruit all over the world. But that's how it works. People preach the gospel. The Lord uses the preaching and the teaching of Christ crucified and risen, and people hear the message and they believe and put their faith in Jesus. And so it is, so it was for these Colossians, these people, some Jewish, some Gentile, that they heard the word of truth, the gospel, and they believed it. 
The point that Paul is making here by thanking God is he's saying this is God's work. This is all of God. And so Paul thanks God because he's the one who began the good work. He's the one that will sustain it and finish it. That's what Paul writes about in Philippians, that uh, he began it, he will continue it on until the end. And he thanks God for the result. He talks about the faith, love and hope. Does that ring any bells, the faith, love and hope? It's, we read about it in other, other of Paul's letters as well. It's, um, called, it has been called the Pauline triad. Where else do we read about faith, love and hope? 1 Corinthians 13, exactly. Now, often Paul will focus on one of those. In 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? The greatest of these is love, exactly. Here, you might notice that he's talking about faith and love, but the focus is hope. The faith and the love that flow out of hope. Hope is his focus here. It's not saying that faith and love are not important, but they're flowing out of hope. In other words, he's saying that knowing the hope of heaven, having our eyes fixed on the finishing line, means that the Christian has the right perspective, the right perspective on this world and the world to come. It's like putting on glasses. Now, I don't know whether you're at this point in life, uh, but you come to a point in life when your arms cease to be long enough. So you're, uh, you're reading something and you like, oh, okay, yep, mm-hmm. okay, yep. Okay, my arms are no longer long enough and I need to put my glasses on. And that's, I'm at that point now. So I put them on and go, oh, yeah, that's very clear. I can read that. (laughs) You put on the glasses of the gospel and you see things differently. Now everything is clearer. Now you see the, the hope of heaven. You see what we have in Christ and it impacts everything. It means it changes how we view this world. Everything is clearer. We have, the same, we have the right perspective, the perspective that God gives us in his word. I think that uh, we can fall into the trap of thinking that heaven is good, but it's like the cherry on top. The, the main part of life is now. Now, when we have that perspective that the main part of life is now, we start to actually invest in this life. We start to lay up our treasure here. We see this world as more important. But having the right perspective, putting on the glasses of the gospel, the right perspective about heaven, we recognise the hope that we have, which changes what we see now. The fellowship that we enjoy with others in Christ is but a taste of what it will be like in heaven. The understanding of faith in Jesus a relationship now that is so marked by doubt will not be marked by doubt in heaven. The hope of heaven impacts what we are like now and the faith and the, hope and the love that we have that points us forward to what will be perfect in heaven. Faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, Paul says. And Paul says he thanks God because it is God who's brought this about transformed these people in Colossae through the preaching of the gospel. All over the world, Paul says, this gospel is bearing fruit. In other words, he's saying to them, you're not alone. There are people like you all over the place. There's something very encouraging. There's something very encouraging about coming to Launceston and meeting sisters in Christ that you'd never met before. You're part of something bigger. 
something encouraging about hearing the testimony of someone in how they became a Christian. Oh, that's like me. That's what happened to me. There's something encouraging about being, belonging to something that is bigger. Paul is saying you're not alone. This gospel that you know is bearing fruit all over the world. And Paul thanks God because it is God's work. And that is encouraging for us too. We need to know, we need to be reminded that God the Father has started the work in us. For all of us who are in Christ, he has started that work. It's not because we're particularly intelligent. It's not because we're particularly perceptive. It's not because we're particularly nice. It's because God is especially gracious. So therefore, whatever our testimony of of what we know of Christ, it is a work of God, it is a miracle. We're all walking miracles, if you like, and it's bearing fruit. But how does knowing this, if we're going to be women who keep walking in Christ, I started by saying, what do we need to know? Well, we need to know that it's God-powered. But how does this help us keep, keep walking in Christ? Well, I think it gives us confidence that we're on the right track. I don't know whether you are into bushwalking. I love coming down to Tassie. Mind you, I mean, in, in 22 hours, there's not much time for bushwalking, especially when you're at a conference all day. But uh, I do love bushwalking, and I grew up in a family where we used to go bushwalking. Um, and uh, I remember going on bushwalks, and uh, Dad would be at the front, and Mum would be carrying up the rear, and us four kids were in the middle. Sometimes it felt a little bit like bush bashing. Um, and if I didn't know better, I would think that we're on the wrong track. But the fact that I knew that Dad knew where he was going, I think, anyway, I thought he did, and I'm pretty sure he did most of the time, the fact that he knew where he was going meant that we could keep going. If we don't think we're on the right track, we might be tempted to take another track, or we might be tempted to turn back, and that's when you get lost. The Apostle Paul, God's word, is saying to these Christians, God's word says to his people, if you are in Christ... You are on the right track. You are on the right track. So keep going. Keep going on this track. And one final thought before we go to the next next point in verses 9 to 14. Paul talks a lot about the word of truth, the gospel, the word of truth. So how do we power walk as those who are in Christ? By sticking with the gospel, sticking with the word of truth. A little bit like that Mortine ad. What's that Mortine ad say? When you're on a good thing, stick to it. If you're in the word of truth, stick with it. And how are we going to stick with it? By soaking our hearts and our minds in it, saturating it. You know another ad? This, this will take some people back. You know that ad with uh, Madge and Palm Olive? She's got her hands in the green liquid. You know you're soaking in it. Dishwashing liquid. Relax. It's Palm Olive. I don't know. Palm, what is it? Palm Olive or something? Anyway, it's mild on your hands while you do the dishes. Some of you won't know what I'm talking about right now, but I suspect some of you will. (laughs) Soak in it. Take your heart and your mind and soak it in the word of truth so it's dripping, so that whatever the world says, whatever whatever situation you're in, your default is to think the word of truth, to think the gospel. Have it soaking out of you, dripping out of you. It is the word of God. It is the word of truth. It reminds us of the hope of heaven. It reminds us of the grace of God, the one who sent his son to die for you, for me. 
It reminds us of the fact that not only did he die for our sins, but he's raised to life. And that means that we will be raised with him. In fact, Paul says that in Colossians. You have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. You live in Christ. So walk in him. So that's how we can be women who walk in Christ. That's the first thing that we need to know, that it's God-powered. Power walking is God-powered. The second thing is in verses 9 to 14. Let me just read those to you. He says, for this reason, for all, for the reason I've given thanks to God for all that you have in Christ, he says, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's quite a mouthful. For, he says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Quite a mouthful, but quite a wonderful, delicious mouthful. You can almost hear the urgency in Paul as he's writing to these Christians. He has an urgency, a desire that they would grow that there would be spiritual growth and an ongoing work of God in them. So he prays for them and he tells them how he prays for them. And even though that's a mouthful in those verses, there really is only one petition. Did you notice there's one thing that he prays? Verse 9, he prays one thing for them. He says he prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. When we think about God's will, it can be a little bit of a, a, I don't know, vague thing. What's God's will? What's God's will for my life? Maybe we think in terms of what's God's will when, of what job I'll take? What's God's will about where I'll live or what church I'll go to? What's God's will about who I'll marry if we're not married? Yeah, there's a sense in which, well, there's, there's a definite sense in which we need to Seek God's will for these things. But Paul isn't talking about specific things here. He's praying for them that not, it's not just about seeking in decision-making, but praying that their very lives will be marked by an understanding of God's will. That God's will for their lives uh, will be understood in terms of an all-encompassing, transforming of minds and lives so that increasingly, just like that sponge you know, that, of our hearts and our minds being dripping with God's will, we will know his will. It'll be more of a default in, in every part of our lives. He writes that it's a knowledge that consists of wisdom and understanding at a spiritual level. In other words, thinking Christianly, increasingly be able to see uh, the things that, that in, in, our, in our lives, the, the fads that come and go, and being able to think about these things in terms of what God thinks, thinking his thoughts after him. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. It's not like suddenly you can click your fingers and suddenly you're thinking in every sense the way that God thinks, but it happens over time. At least that's what we ought to be hoping for. And when we do take our brains, our minds and our hearts and we dunk them in the word of God consistently, daily, that will happen. We'll start to understand his, his will. 
his, and we will have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if we're going to be women who continue to walk in Christ, keep walking and knowing the joy that comes in that, then we need to be thinking his thoughts after him. Women who are filled with the knowledge of God, who are hungering and thirsting after him, like breathing in the air of God's wisdom, coming down to Tasmania and breathing in after being in Sydney, the noise and the pollution and the, and the humidity, and you come down to Tasmania, to Launceston, and you breathe in. That's what we want to do with God's word. Breathe it in. Take it into your very souls. How do we do that? Again, we, we keep reading, we keep saturating our hearts and our minds, and when we do that, then we start to think the way that God thinks. I have a friend who is, uh, has been a Christian for about three or four years. Uh, she is from Japan. Uh, she came to Sydney to do um, study. In the course of her study, she met Christians. She became a Christian. She went back to, to Japan last year, and uh, her family not Christians. Uh, it's hard to find a church. Um, her, um, there is opposition for her um, amongst her family and her close friends because she's a Christian, and it's, it was, has been very discouraging for her going back to Japan. But when I talked with her recently when she came back to Sydney for a, a flying visit, um, I asked her how it was going, and I realised that what she was saying in the, in the toughness of, of that, those circumstances, she was thinking God's thoughts. And she was saying those, God, the, those thoughts. She was saying that she knows that um, even though she feels very lonely there, she knows she's not alone because God's word says we are never alone. She said that when she talks with her, her family, her mum, and, and she feels that opposition, she says she knows that that's what happens because we're, we're, we're different she says that when she talks with her mum and she feels that opposition, she knows that she, has, she needs to love her mum and spend time with her mum because that's what God's word says. Now, she wasn't giving a little rundown so that I could go like, tick, box, what, tick, tick. She was someone who is walking in Christ. She's thinking about what God's word says. She's thinking about what it means to live out the gospel. That comes in spending time with him. Growing in the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says he prays this for them so that they would live a life worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Imagine that. What are you supposed to do? You've got to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. All right? Yeah, no worries. I can do that. Not. I mean, that's a pretty high standard when you think about how we are to live. Worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. That, I would imagine, sounds fairly impossible, not possible. I mean, when I look at my own life, I, I start the new day and it uh, doesn't take very long before I'm not living a life worthy of the Lord and I'm not pleasing him, if, if not outwardly, certainly inwardly in my heart, when my heart betrays me with selfish thoughts and pride and, and self-seeking. What Paul is painting here is a picture of one who, filled with the knowledge of God's will, is increasingly walking a life pleasing to him. It's not just a matter of, like, exhibit A, non-Christian, not living that way, exhibit B, living in every way pleasing, but it's a picture of an increasingly, increasingly looking more and more like Jesus. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a picture of a power walker. You know those posters where they have like a, sometimes it's not a, an actual picture, but it's a picture with people's muscles and, and arrows saying, here's this muscle, here's this muscle. If you can picture a, a, um, a picture of a power walker, not, not the, the uh, Kath and Kim Kel Knight type of power walker, <laughs> but maybe an Olympic power walker. Paul is teasing out the different characteristics or the qualities of one who is a power walker. He says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power. We'll think about whose power that is. For endurance and patience and being thankful for all that we have in Christ. Let's just tease these out a little bit and think about it. So verse 10, bearing fruit, a life that flows out of a life in Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Abiding in Jesus, spending time with him, there is a natural outflow. I used to worry because I used to think that fruit meant conversions. How many people have become Christians through me? I don't know. I I haven't got very many notches on my Bible. That is fruit of lives transformed, but it's not the only fruit. It is fruit that plays out in every part of how we live and how we speak and how we think, and it will flow out into the lives of others as well. Fruit that flows out of walking in Christ. Verse 10 again, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's already said that he's been praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, and now it's kind of this snowballing. The more you know, the more you start to grow and know more. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with power for endurance and patience. If this was a portrait of a power walker, we might be, the arrow might be pointing to those big quads that they have, you know, those bulging legs as they, they're powering along. Or maybe they're not that big with power walkers. Maybe they're lean. Anyway, muscles that are very powerful. And when we think about being strengthened with power, what do we think about in a Christian life? Maybe we might think of those high-profile Christians Um, We might think of those ones that have got big churches, the ones that are famous, the ones that write books, the successful, the powerful leaders that we know. Is that what Paul is talking about here? Not necessarily, although he does use people and and in their writing and in their uh, big churches. But he says, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. A life that pleases Jesus, a life that is strengthened by his power, is a Christian who perseveres, who endures, even if life has not unfolded the way that they had hoped. It is a trust in his power, in his sovereignty, in the midst of suffering. I have um, some very dear friends. Um, uh, over a year ago, um, uh, he, they're a couple with four kids. He had a, a motorbike accident and um, did damage to his, uh, uh, I think it was C3-4. His diagnosis uh, was and still is uh, incomplete quadriplegic. Um, uh, it, it, more than a year down the track, Nick, close to a year and a half, he's still uh, in a wheelchair, although he is able to walk a little bit with crutches. Incomplete quadriplegia can mean any number of things. Sometimes it means a wheelchair, sometimes it means crutches, sometimes they can walk. Uh, but that year and a half has been a shocker. And if you, if you know anything about um, paralysis, you know that there's a lot uh, of very personal things that have to be done for you. It's, it can be humiliating. 
very humbling. Uh, these, this family had been in ministry for many years and now uh, his day is consumed by someone to come and get him out of bed and help him shower and then uh, going to rehab and, and physio. That's a year and a half. And yet uh, they have a blog and, and they continue to, to ask people to pray and they continue to say that they, they, they trust in the Lord, they love him, they, they trust in him for their lives they prayed in the past that they'll be faithful witnesses in the hospital, in the rehab. Uh, they pray in us uh, for joy in the midst of this suffering. They, they pray for thankful hearts. Let me just read something that they've written recently. Um, uh, this is what they write. Pray that we will have super trust in our ever-wonderful God. His kindness and the kindness of his people are amazing. And then they quote from Jerry Bridges. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. See, when I look at this family and with its ongoing struggles, what I see is they are power walking. He is power walking because they are living lives of trust in the Lord. They are living lives worthy of the Lord. That's what they are doing. So, strengthen with his power for endurance and patience. And verse 12, being thankful, which flows out of an understanding of who we are and what we have in Christ. You know, I don't know whether you've got children or I've got nieces and nephews and my nephew, when, when he got the, his, the trampoline that he desperately, desperately wanted, um, he said, thank you. Thank you so much. And he would just say it over and over. He was so excited. Thank you. Sometimes we go... Yes, thank you. Now we think of the next thing we want. Maybe we don't even say thank you when God blesses us so much. Paul writes, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Why? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. That's why. That's why we can be thankful. That's the gospel. Now, um, as we finish off, and I'm probably over time, um, I'm going to just give you three things to think about as we go into morning tea. Firstly, if we're going to be women who walk in Christ and keep walking with Christ, remember what we have in Christ. It's not wishful thinking. It's, it's not like positive affirmations. It is a sure hope. No matter what circumstances you are in or will be in, you have a sure hope. That comes in Christ. And you have been qualified, you have been to, to, it, qualified for an inheritance. You've been rescued and redeemed and forgiven. That is true. Whether you feel it, sometimes we don't feel these things. That is true. And I think when I think about that, I think, whew, that's a relief. It's not actually about me. It's actually about what God has done for me. I remember that I belong to the one who strengthens me according to his glorious might. So on days when it's harder, I take his hand and I walk into the day knowing that it's really all about him and his strength. That's the first thing. Remember what you have in Christ. Secondly, the word of truth, the gospel, God's word is how God brings new life and, and it helps us to persevere. So therefore, think about Madge, relax. Soak in it. Soak it up. 
How can I live a life worthy of the Lord? Soak in the word of truth. Remind myself of these things. And thirdly, pray. Pray for each other that we will be women of great endurance and patience, that we will be women who will joyfully give thanks to the Father, whatever our circumstances. Pray for each other in this way, knowing that he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. You know, um, for many of us, uh, those gym memberships will come and go, won't they? I'm in between at the moment. But how I long for all of us that we will be women who will walk in Christ today and stay there, keep walking, walking a life that is worthy of the Lord. What a wonderful thought, but that he enables us to do that. Let me pray for us as we finish off this time. Father, there's so much that we can be thinking about here. And uh, Father, uh, you know our circumstances, you know where we are. There might even be people here today who are not yet walking in Christ. Father, may today be a day when, uh, for those who are not yet in Christ, that they would come to know your love and your grace and your mercy. And for those of us who do know that love and that grace and that mercy in Jesus, we pray that we will be women who delight in that and know that in our hearts and in our minds. And that in knowing this work that you have done in our lives, that we would delight to to keep walking in your strength, trusting in you and living lives worthy of all that you have done for us. If that is possible, which it really isn't, but we thank you for your grace. And we pray that we would be women who do persevere, who do keep walking. Thank you for this time that we can think about these things. And we commit ourselves to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.